Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, all of us have problems in life. Some problems are easy to solve, some are harder to solve, and some are, or at least seem, impossible to solve. I'm sure if we would share with each other all the problems in our life, we could come up with, with quite, quite a list. But what is, what is the greatest problem? The greatest problem is, is, is not sickness, it's not pain, it's not the government. No, the greatest problem, both personally and as a church, is, that, that, is everything that opposes God. And that includes our, our sinful flesh, the ungodly world, and ultimately, Satan himself. That's our greatest problem. That's our Goliath problem. And it's not a problem we can solve. But we like to think we can. And and so we we can read a story like this that we just read, the story of David and Goliath, and and we can completely miss the point. We can read a story like like this, the story about David, and and think, I'm going to be like David. I'm going to go slay my Goliath. Instead of seeing it as a gospel story, story, that's the story that God meant it to be. We take it as a story that's supposed to inspire us and, and help us. Don't get me wrong. There are lessons to learn from David here. I'm sure we've, we've all heard sermons on David's faith, and there's, there's a good and proper place for that, of course. But, but if all we learn from this passage is that we should be like David and go slay our Goliaths, we're missing the point. You see, we cannot slay Goliath. We cannot slay that giant of a problem that we have, our sinful flesh, the ungodly world, and the devil. It's too strong. It's, it's, it's too big. And we need to get that. We need to understand that. You ever wonder why the, why the Bible uses four entire verses in this chapter to describe Goliath? Let me just put the description of him in today's terms. His enormous nine foot six inches height, nine and a half feet tall. He wore impenetrable bronze armor weighing 125 pounds besides his helmet and his, 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 his bronze, his um, leg armor. His bronze javelin, his thick spear shaft, thick as a weaver's beam with an iron spearhead weighing 15 to 16 pounds and his own shield bearer going before him. Why does the Bible show us all this, congregation? It shows us It describes for us the real Goliath to show us how big, how strong, how impressive, and how terrifying he really is, or really was, as a picture of what our Goliath that all of us face is. We can't fight him. We can't defeat him. Pastors cannot. Elders and deacons cannot. Parents cannot. And dear young people and dear children, neither, neither can you. 
but God can. And God will. That's the point of verse 47. When David speaks to Goliath here and he tells him that the Lord is going to deliver Goliath into his hand and he says what in verse 47? He says this, and all this assembly shall know. Here's the point. They shall know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hands. And so congregation, the lesson that God is teaching Israel through this, that he taught Israel when who first would have received these scriptures. And the lesson that he's teaching us is not that we must solve our Goliath problem. The real lesson is this. God, God solves our Goliath problem. And he does it. He does it through his anointed king. Because, you see, you need to read chapter 17 in light of chapter 16. And children, do you know what happens in 1 Samuel 16? Do you remember? Well, back then, what happens then is is that Samuel, commanded by God, goes to Jesse and his sons, and he, who does he anoint to be the next king of Israel? He anoints David in obedience to God. And so David here in chapter 17 is not David the man, He's David, God's anointed king. And as God's anointed king, he kills Goliath. And David, congregation, was a a picture, a type of Christ. And so he points forward to Jesus Christ, who is God's ultimate anointed king, through whom God solves our Goliath problem. 1 Samuel 17 is a gospel story. And so with God's help, we want to look at this chapter under the theme, God's solution to our Goliath problem. And first, we will see his solution through the coming of his anointed king. And second, the commitment of his anointed king. And third, the triumph of his anointed king. So first, we see the coming of God's anointed king. Children, you can imagine the scene described for us in the, in the first few verses of the chapter. The Philistines, if you think about a map of Israel, the Philistines are on a little part between the Mediterranean, which is over here, and Judah, which is over here. And and they're trying to invade Judah. They're trying to to get more land. And so they're pushing further in. And and so Saul and the men, they they come to meet them. And they they meet the two armies face off in the valley of Elah. And and this this valley is is about a half a mile wide. And there's a little uh, creek running through it. And, and then on both sides, there's, mount, there's mountains. And so on one side, there's, there's David, and, or, or rather Saul and the men of Israel. And, and on the other side, there's, there's the Philistines. You can maybe picture a little bit like, like the coolies. I know the, the river, of course, is bigger than the creek, but, but it's a little bit like that. So imagine that in the coolies, maybe at Indian Battle Park, you, you have, the, you have the, the Israelites on one side and the Philistines on the other. And what's going to happen? Well, look, as, let's, let's look from the Israelite side. Let's look, there's somebody from the Philistine camp. He, he's coming out, and he, it's a giant. His name's Goliath, and he's big. As you look, you can see he's big, he's, he's strong, and he's well-armed. And suddenly, he, as he comes out, suddenly he stops, and he, and he shouts across the valley, and he says this, Why are you come out to set your battle in array? Am I not a Philistine? And you, the servants of Saul? Choose a man for you and let him come down to me. If he be able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then shall ye be our servants and serve us. And then he says this, I, 
defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. What was he doing, children? What was he doing? He was mocking Israel, wasn't he? He was saying, as it were, he was coming out and saying, Ha, Israel, you can't stop us. It was a desperate situation. Verse 11 says that when Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed. Literally, the word means shattered. Their hearts were shattered. They were greatly afraid. Not even Saul's promises of wealth, his daughter as a bride, or the exemption from taxes were enough to make someone stand up to Goliath. It seemed hopeless with Israel. But it wasn't hopeless with Israel's God. Because in verses 12 to 30, David, God's anointed king, comes on the scene. Verse 12 begins with, with now David... At the time, David was just doing his work, taking care of his, his dad's sheep. He had been anointed as king, but he wasn't yet enthroned as king. And so he was still working as a shepherd of sheep. His three oldest brothers were in the army, but, but David, the youngest in the family, he, he wasn't. And then one day, his dad tells him to go to the army camp and, and take some food for his brothers and, and their captain. And, and so David obeys. And in the middle of verse 20, we read that, that David came to the camp. God's anointed king comes as God's solution to his people's Goliath problem. And he comes, congregation, he comes in sovereign grace. If you read earlier in 1 Samuel, you, you under, you'll understand this because why was there a king in Israel in the first place? Why was Saul the king of Israel? Is because Israel had wanted a king for themselves as a sign of their rejection of God. Samuel explicitly says that to, to Israel. They were in, in their wanting a king, they were rejecting God. Because they wanted a king that would rule them like all the other nations. And and this king that God had in in forbearance had, had given them, Saul. He himself had rejected God on numerous occasions. He had disobeyed him. He had rebelled against him. And so you have to understand then that God would have been perfectly just to have just let the Philistines have at the Israelites. He would have been perfectly just. And at first, that's what it seemed like he was going to do. Because, did you notice verse 16? It tells us that Goliath didn't just defy Israel once, but twice a day for 40 days. Now, I don't know about you, but if you were in the camp of Israel and you had to hear that defiance every, twice a day, every day for 40 days, I think by the end of those 40 days, you'd be pretty demoralized. I think I would be. It's a long time. You know what the sad thing is, congregation? The sad thing is that not once do we hear Saul or the men of Israel crying out to God, humbling themselves before him, seeking his face. We don't hear them praying or singing words like the ones we just sang from, from Psalter 2, 16, verse 3. Help us, God of our salvation, for the glory of thy name. For thy name's sake, come and save us. Take away our sin and shame. We don't hear it. 
And yet, at the end of those 40 days, David comes to the camp. What is that, congregation? That's grace. Even the number 40 is, indicates that. 40 days or 40 years are often times of God's judgment and discipline in the Bible. But these times almost always end by God's sovereign and gracious intervention. You can think of the flood. How, how many days and nights did it rain? 40 days and 40 nights. But God in his grace stopped the rain. Or you could think of Israel serving the Philistines another time in the book of Judges for 40 years. And how does it end? It ends with God graciously raising up Samson to deliver them. That's what's happening here. David's coming to the camp at the end of 40 days and right at the time of day when Goliath comes out is God's grace to his sinful people. God's anointed king comes in God's sovereign grace. That was true of David and that's just as true of Christ. You see, Christ came to this world. Why did he come to this world? Was it because we were seeking God? No. Christ came because God was seeking us. He came because he was he came because he was seeking and saving sinners from their willing enslavement to sin and Satan. He came, Christ came to save people who by nature are proud and prayerless. Christ Jesus, God's anointed King, came to this earth. And he comes also in his word to us this morning. He comes to you in his sovereign grace. Oh, let us treasure that. And let us respond to his grace by trusting him. But he also comes not only with sovereign grace, he comes with God's almighty power. You see, when David came to the army camp, he came equipped. And I'm not speaking just about the food that he came with. I'm speaking about the Spirit of God that he came with. 1 Samuel 16, verse 13, tells us that after David was anointed, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him from that day forward. Verse 14, the following verse, says that the same Spirit departed from Saul. That's why, you see, that's why Saul, even though he was there and he was king, he couldn't face Goliath because he didn't have the empowering Spirit of God. And without the empowering Spirit of God, he had nothing. But David did have the Spirit. He had the empowerment given by God. His life, you see, David's life as God's anointed king was was attached to God. His identity was attached to God. And that's what moved David then. Because he had the Spirit of God, that's what moved him to respond to Goliath's defiance with that proper perspective. In verse 26, Who is this uncircumcised Philistine? that he should defy the armies of the living God. And it was that spirit of God that was upon David that made him stand when the rest of the army was fleeing. It's that spirit of God that was upon David that made David stay when his oldest brother Eliab slandered his motives. Nothing dissuaded or discouraged David. Nothing made him turn around and go home. No, because he was equipped with the spirit of God. He had come with God's almighty power and so has Christ remember his baptism what happened there was a voice this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased 
And then the Spirit of God descended upon Jesus as a dove to empower him for his saving work. Oh, what an encouragement this is, congregation, is it not? When we feel so weak, when we see our sins and our, and our, our depravity and the evil of our hearts, how, how mighty it seems, how powerless we are to save ourselves, we have hope because we have a Savior who has come with almighty power. Then you may be the worst sinner. Or you may be the weakest saint. And you can know that he is able to save you, to sanctify you, to renew you, to revive you, to preserve you. He is able to revive his church in Canada, and he is able to preserve her in the midst of persecution. Yes, he is able to deliver you, and he will deliver you and his church, all who look to Christ, one day, once, and for all. Don't you just love those first two words of verse 12? Now David, now God's anointed king has come. But maybe you're thinking, is, that really, is it really that easy? I mean, yes, Christ came as God's solution to our Goliath problem, but is he willing to be God's solution? Well, this brings us to our second point the commitment of God's anointed king. And here we want to look especially at verses 31 to 47. Children, this is where the story really begins to get exciting. Because verse 31 tells us that, that some soldiers heard this boy David. They, they heard him repeating the questions that he had asked in verse 26. What, what shall be done for, for the man that, that, that kills Goliath? And they report his words to Saul. And, and so Saul summons David to him. And, and in verse 32, David sums up his commitment. David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Thy servant will go and fight with this Philistine. There it is. Saul, I, your servant, will go and fight with this Philistine. God's anointed king is committed to be God's solution to our Goliath problem. And what a commitment it is. You know, the soldiers, the soldiers were so terrified. They were so frightened. But, but David loads his commitment, doesn't he, with, with reassurance. What does he say? Let no man's heart fail because of him. David's saying, as it were, to the people, don't be afraid anymore. I, I've, I've got this. You don't need to be dismayed any longer. You don't need to run away anymore because I've come and I'm committed to fighting this Goliath for you in your place. David's commitment is so reassuring and it's so unshakable. You know, when Saul says to him, thou art not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him for, for thou art a, a youth and he a man of war from his youth children, what does David say in response? Does he say, oh yes, all your... I didn't think about that. I am a little bit young. I'm pretty inexperienced. Maybe I should uh, just think about it some more. Does, does that what David says? No, right? David doesn't waver. David doesn't hesitate. His commitment is unshakable. And he tells Saul how as a shepherd he has killed both lions and bears when they tried to steal a lamb. And then he says this in verse 36. Thy servant has slew both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be 
will be as one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. And then he continues in verse 37. The Lord who delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear, he will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. Well, Saul hears him and Saul gets it. He finally realizes David's not changing his mind. And so he says, go and the Lord be with you. And even, even when, David's, or when Saul's armor doesn't work for David, David's commitment remains firm, doesn't it? Even though that means he's going to be going against Goliath, exposed, vulnerable, defenseless, his commitment is unshakable. But it's also God-honoring. Children, what, what do you think was filling David's heart? What do you think was burning in David's heart as he went down to that brook and he picked up five smooth stones and put them in his hand and in his pouch? What, what was in David's heart? Was it a sense? What was filling his heart? Was it a sense of his own greatness? No. It was a sense of God's greatness. David was, was going to face Goliath out of a zeal because he was consumed with a zeal for God's honor. You hear that in what he says, doesn't he? Don't you? He, he, he says, how can this Goliath, how can this uncircumcised Philistine defy the armies of the living God? You see, David knew that God had entered into a covenant relationship with Israel. And so Goliath's defiant shaming of Israel, his scorning of Israel was a defiant shaming and a scorning of Israel's God. And David couldn't stand that. But what's more, David knew, David knew that God wouldn't stand that. So that's why when Goliath scorns him and curses him by his gods and threatens to give his flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field, David answers so powerfully in verses 45 to 47. Thou comest to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield. But I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. This day will the Lord deliver thee into my hand, and I will smite thee and take thine head from thee. And I will give the carcasses of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know not how great I am. Oh, but that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Then all this assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear. For the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hands. Congregation, that has to be one of the most glorious speeches in the whole Bible. And it's also, it's also one of the most God-honoring. David doesn't say, I'm going to defeat Goliath by my own great skill, by my own even great faith. No, he says, I'm going to defeat Goliath by my great God. David's commitment is reassuring, it's unshakable, and it's God-honoring. And so what's the point? Is it, rah, rah, let's go be like David? Is it? Is the point even to make us pray, Lord, make me like David, or or send me a David? No, congregation. You see, we already have a David. We have 
the son of David, the greater David. We have the Lord Jesus Christ, and he is God's anointed king. And he has been committed from all eternity to save his people from sin, from the world, and from Satan. And this commitment congregation of Christ is far more reassuring, and it's far more unshakable, and it's far more God-honoring than even David's was. Because you see, this King Jesus is God himself, the Son of God, who has come as the long-promised Redeemer. The point of this passage is not be like David. The point of this passage, the passage is this. Trust and follow the David you already have. Trust and follow Jesus Christ. I'm not saying we can't learn from David's example. Of course, we can learn from him. We should grow in our faith in God by remembering like David did what he has done in the past. We should be committed like David was to fighting against sin. We we should, like David, be consumed with God's honor. Everything that we did this past week should have been done out of a out of a a commitment, a, 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 a zeal for the honor of God. And if it, if that's not true, then we're guilty of sin. But that's exactly the problem. All of us fall short. All of us fail. But oh, oh, then how reassuring Jesus' commitment is for you and me. Remember his his words in John 14, verse 1. Almost almost exactly the same reassurance that David gives to to Israel. And Jesus spoke these words to, to disciples who were sad, who were confused and who were frightened. And he knew, they were men whom he knew would scatter and leave him alone to face the enemy by himself. And he says to them, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. I go to prepare a place for you. Isn't that reassuring? And his commitment is is unshakable too, isn't it? Jesus never wavered. You see that in in his response to Satan's temptations in the wilderness. You see it when he sets his face like a flint to go to Jerusalem, even though he knew it would cost him immense suffering and death. You, you, You hear that unwavering commitment when he rebukes Simon Peter for trying to prevent him from that suffering. You hear that unwavering commitment when he declares to his disciples, I will build my church. You see his unwavering, his unshakable commitment as he is there in Pilate's hall and the scourges are ripping open his back. You see his unshakable commitment in those three hours of darkness as he was forsaken by his father. He never hesitated. Christ's commitment to be God's solution to our Goliath problem, you see, was and remains unshakable and God-honoring. You see, Jesus' commitment to save his people 
is a commitment to his Father's will. It's a commitment to fulfill God's promise given already in the Garden of Eden. In Genesis 3.15, the promise that God would put enmity between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent, and the seed of the woman would crush Satan's hands. It was a zeal for God's honor that Christ lived with all his days when he went to the temple and cleansed it. He did it out of his, out of his zeal for God's honor. It was a zeal for God's honor that, that led him all the way to the cross. Even though it was, it was hard because he prayed in the garden, you remember, Father, not my will, but yours. Christ's commitment is God-honoring, unshakable, and so reassuring. And that's what enables us, as we face Goliath, in a certain sense, he's a wounded Goliath, mortally wounded, but as we face this Goliath, that's what enables us to sing with Martin Luther. Did we in our own strength confide? Our striving would be losing. Were not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. Dost ask who that may be? Lord Sabaoth, Lord of hosts, it is he. Christ Jesus, it is he. From age to age the same. And he must win the battle. Because he has won the war. Won't you trust and follow Christ, your king, as God's solution to your Goliath problem? Or will you still hold back? Surely not seeing not only the coming and commitment of God's anointed king, but thirdly and lastly also his triumph. His triumph. Children, this is the moment that you look forward to. This is the moment that you've been waiting for, isn't it? Who's going to win? Goliath or David? Look there in the valley. There's Goliath, big, strong, experienced, well-armed, fully armed. And then look, there's David, small, weak, defenseless, inexperienced, unarmed except for his sling. And they're coming together. They're approaching each other. David, David's even running toward Goliath. And now he's pulling a stone out of his bag and he's putting it in his sling and he's, he, he whips that sling around and, and, and look, now the stone is, is hurtling out of the sling right toward Goliath. Right into his forehead. Somebody told me just this morning that Slingers could sling stones at 240 kilometers an hour. It hits them right in the forehead. It sinks down into it. Now Goliath is falling face first. And there he is. On the ground. And now David runs up to him. And he finishes him off, doesn't he? He pulls out Goliath's sword. And he cuts off his head. God's anointed king, you see, congregation... Isn't, hasn't just come. And he isn't just committed. No, he really is God's solution to Israel's Goliath problem. He has triumphed over the enemy. And it's a, tri- it's a decisive triumph. That's, that's the message in all of the details, isn't it, of these verses. The stones st- striking and sinking into Goliath's forehead. His falling to the earth and his being killed by David's cutting off his head with his own sword, with Goliath's own sword, is is declaring to us the decisiveness of David's triumph. Goliath, with all his loud and defiant boasting, is dead. And it's game over for the Philistines. 
Verse 51 says that when the Philistines saw Goliath dead, they fled. David's triumph is decisive. And Christ's triumph over sin, the world, and Satan by his death and resurrection is even more decisive. Christ himself declared that his death on the cross meant what? It meant the casting out of the ruler of this world. And and Colossians 2 verse 14 says that Christ by his death on the cross not only took away the handwriting of the requirements that was against us, he not only took away the curse that we deserve because of our sin, but he also spoiled principalities and powers. He made an open show, a public spectacle of all that opposed him, triumphing them over them in it by his resurrection. You see, congregation, Christ as God's anointed king by his death and resurrection has crushed Satan's head. Is that a comfort to you? Dear child of God, sometimes it seems to you like evil and opposition to God and his people are winning, doesn't it? And yes, it's true, Satan is still active. Yes, we still have remaining sin. And yes, the world will persecute us. But Christ has delivered the mortal blow to all of it. Satan's doom is sure. Sin's days are numbered. Full liberation, full freedom and peace is sure because the triumph of God's anointed king is so decisive. What a comfort it is. What a warning also. Because how important it is to be on his side. Can you say that about yourself? Or are you on Goliath's side? Or maybe you say, how do I know? How do I know whose side I'm on? You know, congregation, by what you're doing with God's anointed You see, those who are on his side, trust him and follow him. They trust in him for their salvation. And they not only trust in him, they also follow him. They follow him because his triumph is not only so decisive, it's also so mobilizing. You see that also in our passage. Notice what happens after David cuts off Goliath's head. The Philistines flee, and the men of Israel and Judah rise up and shout, and pursue the Philistines, killing them all along the road. David's triumph is mobilizing. It changes everything. Did you notice the contrast to earlier in the chapter? I mean, David or Israelites, they, they, sh- they sh- shouted and, and rose up and shouted before, but, but as soon as they saw Goliath, they turned tail and ran the other way. But now that David has killed Goliath, they rise up and shout and they don't flee. They pursue. Congregation, that is what Christ's triumph does for his people. It mobilizes them. It moves them to action. No, we're not called to defeat our Goliath. That's Christ's work. He did that for us. But that doesn't leave us passive. No, it calls us and enables us and mobilizes us to fight and to put to death the sin that remains in our lives. It, it, it mobilizes us to resist temptation. And, and that's a lifelong battle. But it's a battle worth fighting because the victory you see is guaranteed. It's guaranteed in Christ, in his glorious person and work, and in his decisive triumph over sin and Satan 
in the world. So again, I ask, whose side are you on? It's the most important question in life. Don't slough it off. You see, David brought Goliath's head to Jerusalem as a warning. You see, Jerusalem wasn't really in Israelite hands at this point. There were some Israelites living there, but they had mixed with the Jebusites. They had never conquered Jerusalem. And so his bringing Goliath's head to Jerusalem, you see, was a warning to them that no one can oppose God's anointed king and win. And that warning is for us today too. No one can oppose Jesus Christ and win. But you know, there's an encouragement in this gruesome picture of Goliath's severed head. Because it tells you, beloved, that there is nothing, there is nothing in your heart and life that God's anointed king cannot handle. So you can bring it all to him. You can bring your prayerlessness. You can bring your pride. You can bring your worldliness. You can bring your present sins. You can bring your past sins. You can bring your repeated sins and your persistent sins. You can bring your hard heart to him. You can bring that temptation to him that you are facing. You can bring that spiritual assault by Satan. Bring it all to him. To him who by his coming and by his death and resurrection has destroyed the works of the devil and triumphed over the enemy. Bring it to him who is and forever will be God's solution to our Goliath problem. He will give the victory because the battle is his. Well, do you see the congregation, the the, the primary lesson, the gospel lesson in the story of David and Goliath? It's not teaching us, first of all, to be like David. It's teaching us to trust in and to follow the son of David, our Lord Jesus Christ. He is God's anointed king whom God has given and whom the Lord offers to us this morning and reminds us of so that we would trust him, so that we would follow him, and so that in his strength and power we would rise up and we would fight our battles this week, putting sin to death, looking to him and doing it with a shout and a song of victory because God is the giver of victory. Amen.